Hi, welcome back to ARZ. I'm your host, Carolyn Bailey. In this, our second series of interviews in association with VegFest UK, we'll be addressing the issue of total liberation through radical veganism in the lead up to the VegFest UK London event in October 2017. In today's interview, Roger and I will be joined by longtime animal advocate Robert Grillo. Robert is an activist, an author and speaker. He's the director of Free From Harm, which he founded in 2009 to expose animal agriculture's impact on other animals, on vulnerable communities and on the environment. Robert's first book, Farm to Fable, The Fictions of Our Animal Consuming Culture, was published this year and he'll be speaking about that and a lot more this year at London VegFest. Robert, thanks for joining us today and welcome back to AR Zone. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Carolyn. It's great to be back. Thanks, Robert. You're very welcome. As I mentioned in my intro, Robert, you founded Free From Harm to address the impact animal agriculture has on other animals as well as on the environment and on vulnerable communities. How do you see the animal exploiting industries adapting to increased interest in plant-based alternatives, particularly in terms of reinforcing the cultural ideas behind eating other animals? Right. So, uh, you know, is this kind of plays into the, the new presentation and work that I've been doing, which is uh, Farm to Fable for Activists. It's kind of taking the Farm to Fable project to a kind of the next level for me, which is really um, tailoring it more to what, what it means for, you know, for our activism and our movement. And so part of looking at that is looking at just what, what you're asking, which is what what are the exploitation industries doing in response to our work? What are their tactics to shoot the messenger? I call it, you know, shooting the messenger, which is a series of tactics that they use to attack us, mm. uh, to kind of try to discredit us in the eyes of the public. And so some of the tactics they use to do this are first to flood the media with false and misleading narratives about us. Uh, a second tactic is uh, to lobby legislators, at least, you know, talking about in the U.S., but I have a feeling that it's happening everywhere. Right. Um, the second is, is to lobby legislators to try to criminalize us if we're watchdogs or activists. And this has the added benefit of, of course, deflecting attention away from considering the ethical implications of their own practices. The third tactic I talk about is, of course, the usual concealment of violence by hiding their victims in remote facilities where neither the public nor the press are permitted, or only when supervised and only when the experience can be carefully controlled to favor the exploiter's agenda. And then finally, the fourth prong to this uh, kind of propaganda reaction by ex the exploitation industries is to disseminate humane washing. Uh, to disseminate humane narratives about the lives of animals on farms and the, the love and devotion that farmers have for them and all of this. Those are the tactics that they're, they're coming back with. Um, they're trying to, you know, shape the public's perception of us to, to marginalize us and to criminalize us uh, when possible. And I think, you know, we'll be seeing more of that. Thanks, Robert. I think you're right. I think we are seeing more of it. How, how do you think those industries will seek to curtail the more so-called radical aspects of the animal movement? Um, I guess I'm thinking of 
advocates who discuss the rights of other, other animals not to be exploited as opposed to how we treat them as we're exploiting them. One disturbing development that we saw here uh, recently was a story that came out in response to an open rescue that was done on a farm. Uh, activists went into the farm and rescued a pullet and delivered, you know, long story short, delivered the animal to a sanctuary. And then we saw the FBI going into sanctuaries and trying to get DNA samples from their animals so that they could, you know, get a DNA match of the animals that apparently were missing from certain farms. And, you know, this is kind of nothing like nothing I've ever heard. Of. Mm. You're basically, you know, the absurdity of it can't be, can't be overestimated, I think. You're, uh, you know, just from a practical standpoint, you're, you're spending thousands of taxpayer dollars to go after an animal that is worth about 10 or 15 U.S. dollars to that farm. It's clearly a scare tactic, a chilling, uh, a chilling tactic. That's really what it's about. It's not about the economic value of that missing animal that probably would have died anyway because they, they, you know, the open rescue people usually go in and find the most gravely ill animals that, that farms would otherwise just leave to die anyway. So my guess is that it was one of these cases. But um, there is an extreme example of what we're seeing, and I, I hope that's an extreme example. I really don't know because if that's a sign of things to come, that makes me pretty nervous. It's frightening, isn't it? Thanks for that, Robert. So this is uh, uh, Roger jumping in, uh, Robert. Uh, just before I ask my question, you, you mentioned in your first answer this thing about shooting the messenger. I um, don't know whether you know, but uh, Irish uh, farming representatives have just put out a video claiming that veganism is controlled malnutrition. So that's one kind of stark, uh, you know, fight back, as it were, from, from them. Right. And so um, we received some breaking news early this evening that one of your uh, VegFest talks has a focus on chickens, which sadly are probably the most exploited other animals ever, with the possible exception of fishes taken as a group. So can you uh, briefly give us a rundown on what you're going to say uh, about the, the chicken situation? Yeah, right. So my presentation uh, is a little bit different in that it, the focus of it is who chickens really are. Uh, so it does supply, you know, some kind of industry facts, like the fact that um, in the U.S., 61.5% of the, of the animals that are the land animals that are exploited and killed for food are chickens. And um, it does provide, you know, interesting context in terms of where, you know, how chickens have evolved from their rainforest ancestors into what we've engineered them into today. It looks at that kind of history. Uh, it looks at the invention of artificial incubators in ancient Egypt and how that was, you know, basically the first kind of marked a, a huge shift in thinking about animal exploitation, I think, because it was the replacement of a mother with a machine. And then I look at all the many different rescues we've had, uh, talk a little bit about the stories behind each of them, and then I weave in 
many scientific facts that we've learned just in the last uh, 10 or 15 years about chickens, about their social world, about their emotional, emotional states, about how they communicate with others in their flock, about their brain and senses, which are really quite extraordinary, and things like problem solving and memory. So that's kind of the, you know, the thrust of this presentation is just to kind of build more respect and a better, a deeper understanding uh, and dignity for the birds and, uh, you know, contrast that against some prevailing views that are so disparaging and, and so uh, marginalizing about the same, you know, the same birds. I love that. It sounds great. It actually, it sounds very similar, another kind of Irish connection to uh, the kind of uh, work that Sandra Higgins of Go Vegan World uh, does. You know, she's um, a psychologist, but uh, thankfully an animal rights based one. She kind of like emphasizes the fact that chickens are individuals, you know, with their own personalities, which, which sounds like uh, you're going to, going to do as well. And in terms of uh, what you were saying about, you know, kind of recent data on chickens, you know, I always make the point that until about 30 years ago, most uh, information or most knowledge, you know, that, comments that we had about other animals was how to exploit them. And it's only recently with cognitive ethology that we've actually took an interest in their lives, ju just in terms of their own life and seeing their, their social and even, you know, moral lives, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, that that's something that I kind of uh, allude to in the presentation too. I have a section called "Where do we learn about them?" or "How did we learn about them?" and you know, "Where do we go now?" Because what we've learned is from farms and farmers who think they're experts at animals and that everyone else is just ignorant um, simply because they know how to exploit them makes them experts in animal behavior, which of course is nonsense. So, yeah, I, I, I suggest, like, like Sandra, I think, would, too, um, that, you know, we, sanctuaries are a place where, where we can actually learn about the intrinsic value of, of birds and other animals. Farms are, we walk away from that experience, and most people that walk away from the experience of visiting a farm are seeing meek, timid, subservient animals uh, that are repressed and cannot uh, are unable to show their true natures. And we walk away from that experience thinking, oh, well, maybe they are all the same. Maybe they are just, um, they have no personalities. Um, but it simply is that they're just in such repressed, ex exploitative states. They're not expressing who they really are. Robert, you mentioned that you'd be speaking about the origins and evolution of chickens. One particular issue that I think a lot of people probably aren't aware of, particularly, well, certainly people who eat the eggs of chickens probably are not aware of, is the amount of eggs their bodies have been manipulated to lay every year. Can you speak about how many eggs it's natural for a hen to lay and how many eggs they're forced to lay these days, the difference between the two? Sure. Yeah, so I cover that a bit in the presentation too. Uh, the natural laying of eggs for chickens would be somewhere between 10 and 15 uh, eggs per year for reproduction. For chickens that are bred specifically for laying eggs, commercial hens uh, will lay between 50 to 300 per year uh, or until their bodies give out from disease. And, and the other thing I'd like to, to point out is that not only the, is the number 
so obscene, but the size of their eggs are larger than ever, making it incredibly more difficult for them to pass through their pelvis. Uh, and in some cases, we've seen hens that have taken two to three hours of literally pushing and straining. I mean, it's comparable to labor in some respects. When you see the energy and effort that goes into laying an egg, most people have no idea how much time and energy it takes. Absolutely. And what what effect does that have on their little bodies? We've seen lots of really sad, firsthand, we've seen some really sad situations um, that can't get better. They can only get worse. Egg yolk peritonitis is a, is a very common condition where the hen isn't really forming eggs properly anymore. She's not forming shells properly, so but she's still forming egg material because she's hormonal. So she's still forming the, ba- the you know the building blocks of the eggs without the shells, and there's nowhere for this to go. So what's happening is it's building up in her abdomen. Uh, it's becoming infected. It's material that gets hardened. Uh, and pushes against her vital organs, and in many cases even binds to their vital organs. So in cases where we've, we've been told um, the hen, we can do exploratory surgery and hope, hope that we can get out some of this egg material, the vet will sometimes say, you know what, it's just so bound to the vital organs, we can't even remove it. The problems with eggs could be something, that's a very common problem. Another is just not being able to to move them uh, because they're just too large and they get they get stuck and then there's eggs forming behind that one that's stuck and it just it's a vicious cycle. Mm, yeah, it's, it's very sad, isn't it, Robert? You're obviously going to be really busy this year at VegFest London. You're giving a number of talks. Would you please tell us what we have to look forward to from you in London? Sure. Yeah. So I kind of asked for you know I I tell them I'd like to make as much out of the trip as possible. And they said, oh, sure, we'd be glad to have you and give you a couple of appearances. So on Saturday, uh, I will be doing the Farm to Fable presentation for uh, the general audience. And so that version is my original, that's the closest to the book. And that's, that's my presentation to the general audience, which focuses on identifying and, uh, you know, explaining the different kinds of fictions that we see in our culture that can, that condition us to consume animals. And and it provides some insights for, you know, what to do about it, act, you know, how to get active in, towards the end. Um, and then on Sunday, I have uh, a, an activist, a shorter activist uh, presentation, which will focus on sources of empowerment for activists. And then I'll be giving the chicken, who chickens really are, which is the full length presentation that we've been talking about. Sounds very interesting and very exciting. Robert, thank you so much for your time today. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank you for everything that you continue to do for both humans and other animals. Oh, thank you so much for having me on again. It was great to talk to you again, Carolyn, and hope you stay well. Thank you so much. Okay. No member of the animal kingdom ever did a thing to me. Why don't eat red meat or white fish? Don't give me no blue cheese. We're all members of the